to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. Well, today, Nikki, we are coming to that famous section of Galatians where Paul challenges us to live by the Spirit as believers, not by the flesh. And he outlines the deeds of the flesh and contrasts them with the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to look today at that question which plagues so many of us as Adventists. How do we live by the Spirit? What does that mean? And it's not surprising we didn't know as Adventists, is it? No. We're often asked, on the one hand, when we leave Adventism, if we now think we can go out and cheat and steal and commit adultery. And on the other hand, we have people arguing with us that the law written on our hearts is the Ten Commandments. Paul here is telling us that as born-again Christians, we're neither living by the law nor living in license, but we live in a third way, by the Spirit, in liberty. We're not without authority, but we are not under the Ten Commandments, or indeed under any of the Old Covenant law. Today, we're going to talk about what it means that we have been called to live in liberty and answer to the Spirit instead of the law. But first, we want to remind you that you can email us with questions and comments at formeradventist at gmail.com. Go to proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly proclamation email newsletter. And you can find links there to our YouTube channel, to our online articles and magazines, and to this podcast. And please consider supporting Life Assurance Ministries by using the Donate tab at that same link. And you will help us continue to provide materials and help for people questioning and leaving Adventism. And don't forget to give us a five-star review or to write a review if you'd like to, wherever you listen to podcasts, because that always helps the podcast to expand its reach. But now, Nikki, I have my question for you. Okay. As an Adventist, what did you think it meant to live by the Spirit? Obey. Interesting. That's the only thing that comes to mind. Obey. When you obey and keep the commandments and do these things that are required of you, you're living by the Spirit. You're obeying Him. You're doing what He wants you to do. And when you say obey, the object of your obedience was? I think the Decalogue, really. Mm -hmm. I think it was the law, because I believed the law was also in the New Testament, obviously, as an Adventist. And so, but I don't think I had any real unique commands of Christ in mind. Yeah. And not because I wouldn't think that I'd need to obey anything he said, but I just, I think I thought all he did was point back to that. That's interesting. I think I thought the same thing. I mean, I knew he said to be baptized and to yeah. have communion, but I wouldn't have thought of any other additional unique commands of Christ. So it would have been obey the law. And isn't that what he came to do? He came to show us how to do it, and because he died and went to the Father, he was able to send the Spirit so he could come and help us keep those commandments and vindicate God to watching worlds. You know, it is really striking to me when I hear Adventists talk about why Jesus died and how he vindicated the law and all, all of that, and they still talk about that. We still get those things in emails and questions and so forth. 
As time goes on, I find it more and more challenging to explain what the Bible actually means there. To me, and I'm not even sure why I feel so challenged by it, but their wording sounds so good. I, I had an engagement on Facebook recently with somebody who was an Adventist who was responding to one of Proclamation's articles, and the arguments this person put forth were so convoluted, but so carefully worded. And the point that this person made kept saying, oh, it's not our work. It's not our faith. It's the faith of Christ in us. And we keep the law because the righteousness of Christ and the faith of Christ in us is helping us do this. So, for an Adventist, the bottom line is still the same. In order to live by the Spirit, you have to obey the law. And they can say that the law is now written on our hearts and that the law is now being enabled in us because of the faith of Christ and the work of Christ and the power of Christ in us. But it's still about the Ten Commandments, which they insist in one way or another is what is written on our hearts. And of course, it has to be the Ten Commandments because where else do you find the fourth? Right. Right. And, you know, for them, the Ten Commandments were eternal. They are the <laughs> the thread of all of history from pre-creation into eternity, the Ten Commandments stand. And that's what all of this is about. Exactly. And it's very frustrating because I know that when Christians talk to Adventists, Christians who don't understand the Adventist worldview, they miss what the Adventist really means. And even Adventists themselves, when they talk with former Adventists, there's a confusion in there because the way the words are thrown about, if you aren't sure how to define them, it's like, well, how do you believe differently from me? You sound right. But Paul is going to explain this, and we're going to talk about it today because this is where we live and breathe as born-again believers. And this is not the same place Adventists live and breathe in spite of what they try to tell us. So, Nikki, would you read our passage today? Yes. So, we're in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to cover verses 13 to 26. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. 
Let's back up to verse 13 and start walking our way through this. And I found it very interesting and challenging as I brought my past understanding of this passage as an Adventist and melded it in with what I now see as a Christian when I read these words. And it's amazing how the words mean something different to me now than they did then. So, when Paul says you were called to freedom, not for an opportunity for the flesh, but through loving and serving one another, in essence, what is he saying here? What is this freedom that he is saying we're called to? Well, he's just talked about the fact that we're children of the promise and Christ has set us free through faith. So we're free from the law. We're free from any law for righteousness. He's justified us. And if you take the full teachings of Paul, this freedom means that we're born again and we are now finally free to respond to God. Yes, that's so well said. It was interesting to me when I remember realizing that the freedom I have now is actually for the first time in my life, the actual freedom of my will to do something that I choose to do. You know, Adventists camp on the freedom of our will, our free will to do whatever, to choose God or not to choose God, to sin or not to sin, and that God won't violate our free will or Satan's free will. But that is a myth because we are born dead in sin. And when we're born dead in sin, we're under the control, according to Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, of the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the children of disobedience. We are not free to choose God when we're dead. Right. But we didn't understand that as Adventists. So, the Adventist argument that free will must be maintained at all costs is not dealing with the true nature of man. So, now I see that when Paul says, you're called to freedom, the freedom is in being spiritually alive. So, we can see when God is saying, this is me, follow me, as opposed to, this is my flesh, follow the flesh. You're so right about it being a matter of not understanding the nature of man. I remember... One of my relatives, as he was dying, he asked me, he knew I was not an Adventist and that I was a Christian. And he said, you people say you're free, free, you're free. What are you all free from? And I knew from his context, he heard you're free from religion. You're free from obeying and doing these things that you're supposed to be doing. That's licentiousness. It just didn't make sense. Why would a Christian do that? And the only way to actually get underneath that would have been to have a whole conversation about the nature of man. Yeah. And that's not something that's easy to do on one's deathbed. Exactly. You know, I believed as an Adventist that this idea of freedom was like diametrically opposed to obedience. Yes. Because... natural man, the natural person wants to be free from the constraints of religion. You just think of your Southern California Seventh-day Adventist and how they compromise. Well, I can keep the Sabbath how I want to. I can eat meat if I want to. You know, they play with the restrictions and the confines of their religion to feel more free, more liberal, more grace-oriented. But the fact 
fact is, is that freedom doesn't mean to do whatever you want or however you interpret something. That's unbelievers' freedom. That's the world. That's Psalm 2. Let us burst their bonds from us. That's freedom from God's law, period. It was interesting to me to hear this concept of freedom discussed. I actually read and heard two different commentators on this passage, and they had the same idea. They described this whole issue of freedom as having three ways to look at the idea of what we're obedient to or not obedient to. There's the idea of legalism, which Paul has spent the entire book of Galatians speaking against. We are not under the law. When Paul speaks of legalism, he means living by the Ten Commandments. Now, as an Adventist, we've talked about this before. I would have argued I was not a legalist. I kept the Sabbath because I loved God and I wanted everyone to know I loved God. I was casting my vote for Him and keeping the Sabbath was the way I cast my vote for Him. So I wouldn't have thought that was legalism. And yet, Paul is defining legalism as living by the Ten Commandments in any way. Even if you want to say that the Ten Commandments are now written on our heart, that's still living by those Ten Commandments. That's one way of looking at this issue of obedience versus freedom. Legalism is putting yourself under the authority of the law in one way or another. The other way that people talk about this sometimes is this idea of living in license. So, this is what we get from people when we leave, like, oh, are you now free to cheat and commit immorality and, you know, do whatever you want and ignore the law? No, that's license. License means living without any moral authority. So, Paul is not saying that we're now free to live with no moral authority following the desires of our flesh, he says there is a third way to look at this. And that third way is the thing that we were never taught as Adventists. And it's why Adventists always have so much trouble with us when we leave. (laughs) Like, what are you going to do with the Sabbath? Or are you now going to cheat and steal and commit adultery? No, there's a third way, which is called the way of the Spirit, which is the way of liberty. And to understand the way of the Spirit, you have to understand what you've just said so well, Nikki, that we are born dead and we have to be born again. And that happens only when we hear the gospel of our salvation, which is the truth of Jesus' finished atonement, His death for our sin, His burial, His resurrection. And when we trust Him and trust our sin to Him, that's when we're born again and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And now, instead of the Ten Commandments being what's put on our hearts, it's God Himself. (laughs) The one who wrote the law is in us. And we follow Him and we listen to Him and He's faithful to convict us. You know, and I want to say too, when I was an Adventist, I would have said, yeah, well, I've already heard about Jesus coming and dying for my sins, and I already believed that. So, am I already born again? I have to say, and I know it sounds so harsh to so many people, Ephesians says, when you heard the word of truth and believed, and when we go to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, and we read what the gospel is, it says the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but all of it is according to Scripture. It is not according to the testimony of a prophetess who lived hundreds of years ago and changed all the details. Right. It's according to scripture. So yes, it is about the cross, about Christ, about what he did, but 
what he did is not what you've been taught in Adventism. Even if you have been taught by an Adventist pastor who says he doesn't believe all of the Ellen White stuff, if he has not unpacked everything that's underneath all of that, and believe me, there are layers. There are. (laughs) Then even he has not yet come to understand the gospel of scripture because the gospel of Adventism is saturated with heresy. And if you have a pastor like the one you just described, the hypothetical pastor who doesn't teach all the stuff of Adventism but teaches grace, but he is still getting his paycheck from the Adventist organization and is still bringing people in and letting them become Seventh-day Adventists under his guidance, he has not separated from that heresy. He is still supporting it and supported by it. It means he hasn't yet understood the drastic nature of his own depravity and of what Jesus did in taking our sin and dying for it and breaking its curse. And I'll go a step further, even if he's not getting that paycheck, if he's honoring the Sabbath, if he's even honoring the Sabbath, he has not understood that there is nothing he can do to recommend himself to God. Anyone who is seeking to be justified by the law has fallen from grace. And in a couple of podcasts past, we quoted some Ellen White quotes where she completely diametrically taught the opposite of that. She mocked the Christian teaching that says we only believe that we no longer keep the law when we are born again. She mocked that. So it's not surprising Adventists have so much trouble with understanding this freedom Paul is talking about. And don't you find that it's really difficult to explain to people how God changes our desires yes. and our affections when we're born again. So when they think of freedom, meaning you do what you are free to do, they right. think of natural man and it becomes freedom equals flesh yes. deeds mm-hmm. and obedience equals religion. We see in this very first verse that Freedom and the deeds of the flesh are not synonymous. No. In fact, they're opposed to each other. I just have to throw in a little bit from 2 Corinthians 3, because Paul makes it so clear that it is not the Ten Commandments that we are obedient to when we are born again. Yeah. When we walk in freedom, it's not the Ten Commandments written on our hearts. It's the Lord Himself. Listen to how Paul explains this in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Now, Nikki, the ministry of death, he equates with what? (laughs) Carved in letters on stone. That's the Decalogue. That's the Decalogue. The words of the covenant. Those are the ministry of death. And he goes on, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was coming to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. I want to say sila. <laughs> you have to think about that. You have to pause and rejoice what was being brought to an end. He's talking about the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Covenant, the ministry of death. Absolutely. It, it was being brought to an end, but the new covenant is 
eternal. It's permanent. And he says, as he nears the end of this chapter, for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then he ends the chapter with this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, here it is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So, given this context of 2 Corinthians 3, and we move over to Galatians 5, when Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brethren, what is that freedom? The freedom of being free in Christ. You've come to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit himself is bringing us that freedom. So, no, we are not free to indulge the flesh. We're not free to live in license. We're not bound by the law. We're not condemned, if you want to say that, to be obeying the Ten Commandments for the rest of our lives, either externally on stone or internally on our hearts, because the Holy Spirit Himself is who's on our hearts now. It's God to whom we answer. And yet with this, Paul makes it clear that being born again and being free doesn't automatically eliminate the ability for us to give opportunity to the flesh. And so he warns us and he he makes clear that sin is serious. And, you know, as we talk about freedom and, and we have this Adventist context in our mind and the, the Ten Commandments, and like you said, they're written on the heart and all of those arguments. I think of a conversation I had recently with some people who are on their way out of Adventism. And the question that kept coming up was always related to, if you love me, keep my commandments. Uh-huh. And I kept trying to explain that the commandments are the teachings of Christ, and it's the law of the Spirit, the law of Christ, because they kept asking, well, what law are we under if we're not under the law of Moses? And you have those Adventist proof texts that are in the mind. And so I was reading from 1 John while we were preparing for this podcast, and in 1 John 2, 4 through 6, John writes, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, and by the way, the Greek word there is entola. That's instructions. Not law. Not nomos, not the Mosaic law. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And a quick note on that verse, but whoever keeps his word, the word there for word is logos, and it's preeminently used of Christ expressing the thoughts of the Father through the Spirit. So keeping his word does not mean keeping his Ten Commandments. Right. It is so much bigger than that. It's the thoughts of God expressed through the Spirit in Christ's ministry. So then we have Jesus say himself in John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, 
you will be free indeed. This is Galatians. This is about the fact that we are now heirs of Christ. We are no longer under the pedagogue of the Mosaic covenant of the Mosaic law. And so the commandments of Christ are the words of Christ. They're the teachings. They're the instructions of Christ. So those proof texts, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. (laughs) They're diametrically opposed to what Christ is trying to teach these people. Life in him is entirely different from life under the Mosaic law. Yes. And we don't go as Christians from being under the Mosaic law in the tabernacle to being under the Mosaic law in our hearts. It's Jesus himself we serve. I think it's important for us to remember, as we discuss this business of living in freedom, that as Adventists, we were taught a, if you want to think of it as a visual, we were taught a concept that is diametrically opposite of what the Bible teaches as the gospel. And let me just try to explain it this way. As Adventists, we were taught we need to come to Jesus. We need to accept Him because He died for us and showed us how to keep the law. So when we accept Him, and you know, to be honest, I never really knew what that meant (laughs) as an Adventist. It's like an intellectual, okay, yes, Jesus died this horrible, ugly death, and I'm indebted to Him, and what can I do? So, what I could do would be to say, okay, thank you for your example, and then from saying yes to Jesus, I turn away from the cross and look at the Ten Commandments, and, you know, according to the Adventist art, there's those pictures of Him standing with a man in the final judgment, pointing to the Decalogue as He has His hand around the man's shoulder, like, that's your standard. That's what we do. That's what we live for. So, as an Adventist, we accept Jesus, we turn away from Him, and we walk towards the law where under His power and His faith and His goodness and His whatever, we now figure out how to keep the law to please God. That's the Adventist model. And it's taught to us in art, it's taught to us in words, and it's taught to us with proof texts. But it's all very confusing, and when a Christian talks to us, we actually, like the conversation to which you just alluded, Mm -hmm. there's confusion in even knowing how to talk about it, because we're taught the words mean different things. But the Bible teaches that that law shines the light on human nature so that we suddenly realize that we are depraved and we can't be good. And we realize we're under the sentence of death, because that's what the law tells us. There's no grace in the law. It's you do this or you die. But what Jesus did was he took that death and he took our sin, which was inevitable because we couldn't stop sinning. And he put that on the cross in his body and he paid the price for our death and he was buried and he was raised on the third day and broke that curse. So in the biblical model, When we see how sinful we are, and that law confirms that we are under the sentence of death, and we turn to Jesus, our back is now to the law, and our eyes are fully on Him because He gives us His life. It's His life in us that gives us freedom, and it's Himself He puts in us. It's not the law we now follow. He gives us Himself so we answer to Him in the most minute ways. It's not the law. So let me ask you the Adventist question that comes up after that. If we answer to Jesus and we have to obey his teachings, and then we go and look at the Gospels, and he's going to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he's telling us to be perfect, isn't that obeying? Don't we have to be perfect and keep the Sabbath? Well, I would say this. 
Jesus never said he came here to be our example. Jesus was born under the law. And we learned that in Galatians 4.4. 4. Mm-hmm. He was born of a woman in the fullness of time, born under the law. And he himself said he came to fulfill the law. And he died the death the law demanded. When Jesus rose from death, there is no example in the Bible of his ever going on Sabbath to the synagogue again, but we have examples of him meeting his disciples on the first day of the week. We have the example of the Holy Spirit coming and filling those waiting disciples after his ascension with the Spirit on the first day of the week. His going to the synagogue was not our example. It was his fulfilling the law, which was a shadow of his righteousness. And as we learn in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, the reality is him. We don't look at that law anymore. Hebrews 10, 1 also says that. So when we think about the Gospels, we think about the fact that they're historical books. We think about the genre. They're historical books telling us what happened. Same thing with Acts. And like you said, with Jesus teaching his apostles after he resurrected, he came and he taught and he walked that road to Emmaus. He taught for several days before he went to the Father. And he told his apostles that the Holy Spirit would come and bring to mind everything that he taught them. And he instructed them to lead the church. So then we have this legacy that these men left, all these letters that have instructions from the church that were divinely given to them by the Holy Spirit that reflect the teachings of Christ. He said at the end of Matthew, go into all the world, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And I have to say that word commanded again is instructions. (laughs) Yes, not law. So, They were then sent out and we find all of what it looks like to live in the body of Christ, to live under the law of the Spirit, to live under the law of Christ, fleshed out in these letters. You know, it's interesting to me that it's so hard to conceptually get one's mind around the idea that living by the Spirit is far more powerful, far more inclusive, far more demanding than living under any form or placement of the Ten Commandments. And you know, the Sabbath is the driving reason Adventism requires the Ten Commandments to be eternal. But the Sabbath just is never listed in the New Testament as a command for believers, nor is it listed in any of the list of sins that breaking the Sabbath is one of those sins that will keep people out of heaven. It's not listed. Mm -mm. Not believing in Jesus, that's the deal breaker. And trying to justify yourself by law. Falling from grace. Mm -hmm. So, Nikki, when Paul says in verse 14 that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, what is he saying here? This is another one of those things that Adventists have twisted a little bit. Yeah, this came up in a recent conversation I had with someone working their way out of Adventism. Well, wait a minute, Paul refers to the law here. And it reminds me of my Sabbath PTSD. Anytime I would read the word Sabbath in the New Testament, it was like, why is that there? What does that mean? But this phrase, mm-hmm. this hearkening back to the Ten Commandments, is not a command to go back to the law. And this, again, brings up another hermeneutical principle. You let clear passages inform unclear passages. Right. So this text might not be unclear to a lot of Christians, but for former Adventists, it's a little unclear. So we go back and we look at all of Galatians, and Paul makes clear, no, we are not under the Ten Commandments. That's not what he's doing here. Paul isn't calling them back to the law. 
Paul seems to be making the point that the new covenant isn't about a detailed list of do's and don'ts like they were all given in Leviticus. The new covenant law is primarily motivated by the principle here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the principles are defined by God in his word. It's not so much about the pedagogy, the the tutor of the law. Now we're all grown up. We're heirs of Christ. And what was so interesting to me, as I looked at this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I went and I, I was looking up passages of scripture that are related to the commands of Christ in the New Testament again and again and again. It's about loving the church, yes. loving the bride, loving our brothers. You know, this is how we know what love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. On and on, there are multiple verses about loving one another. That is such an important point, Nikki. And once again, I want to challenge all of us to turn our backs to the tables of stone and turn our eyes on to Jesus, who is crucified, buried, and risen again. And when we keep our eyes on Him who has fulfilled the law, we no longer have to worry about the law. It's like the fulfilled living trust that we've talked about before. My mother's living trust has been dispersed. It is now a fulfilled document. It has no power over me. That is the Ten Commandments for the believer. And when we think of that, what you say about loving one another looks completely different Mm -hmm. because it's not governed by principles of law. It's governed by the head of the church who has risen from death and given us his life and makes us one in Him. That's how we know how to love. He puts Himself in us. He's in me as He is in you, Nikki, and that makes you a member of Christ as I am a member of Christ. And our obligation to one another is so much more powerful than before either of us was a believer. Mm -hmm. We are part of His body. And His work in us is far more personal than a list of ten. He indwells us and He deals with the parts of us that a list can't deal with. Yes. He convicts us of sin. And it's going to be different for everybody. You know, it strikes me that one of the things I think I can say that without exception, every former Adventist with whom I've dealt has some level of trauma because we were raised in a completely upside down world Mm -hmm. and we were taught black is white and white is black. And we've had to relearn everything, including relationships, which were governed by that upside down black and white backwards world. Mm -hmm. So we come out with a lot of trauma. It's not just that we're one another and we see each other through a new lens, which is true. But we also have these deeply broken places and the law can't deal with those. The law cannot fix those ways our heads are confused. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So when we look to Jesus and allow Him to be our life and our forgiveness and our wisdom, it's a completely different way to live. And it again reminds me of what our son Roy said um, when he was in college. He said, when I was born again, my thinking cleared up. That's only the Holy Spirit can do that. Because only the Holy Spirit can fix the confusion in our heads. The law cannot. 
by giving us reality, he gives us an opportunity to heal and he gives us a space for reconciliation. Yes. So in the body of Christ, there's no space for grudges and breaking things up. Like that's it. You know, we're done. Churches do that. And it's so sad and it's so unfortunate because in the, the way of the church, it's unnecessary. That's right, because we have Christ himself as our head, which of course leads us right into verse 15, where Paul says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. And I have seen that happen mm-hmm. after leaving Adventism in the body of Christ, and it is incredibly sad. Of course, sometimes you realize that you are probably partially dealing with some people who are not born again, who function in the body of Christ. But this whole thing is so incredibly sad. But if you're living by the law, that leads you to bite and devour because it gives you a standard by which you feel privileged to measure yourself and everyone around you. Which I would say is giving opportunity to the flesh. Exactly. Legalism gives opportunity to the flesh. And you can cloak that in moralism. You can cloak that in, I'm just trying to be a good person. But you become the yardstick then. And when we look to Christ and realize that in Him, we are one in Him, as He prayed in John 17, that God would help His disciples to be one with each other and one in Him as He was one in the Father so that we would all be one body in Him. And that's something that the law cannot do. The law can only separate us and point out our failings. Only the Lord Jesus can give us a unity that surpasses our flesh and becomes more powerful than the flesh if we trust Him. You know, and I think part of that is because we're a family. Yeah. And so we have a head. We have a father. So when we have issues in the church, we have someone to go to. We're not just looking at the law and saying, well, I'm doing this, but you're not doing this. And everybody's pointing out what the problem is. Now we have the opportunity to take our issues to the Lord. I think of Philippians uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Okay, so the way I function in the body of Christ is I remain reasonable. It it hearkens us to the fruit of the Spirit. It's self-control. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we bring our issues to God and we treat each other with kindness. Because we're yielding to our Father, not directly dealing with the sin of another or even our own sin. We bring our own temptations to the Father and yield to Him. Mm -hmm. Which brings us to this next verse, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And Nikki... It just passed the the passage you read in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. I think this directly continues that thought where Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. That's what the Holy Spirit enables us to do. We look to our Father. We see He has provided for us. He has given us His life. He has 
purposefully, by His divine intentions, linked us with each other. He puts us together in the local body. He determines who we know in this life and who we do ministry with in this life and who we serve in this life. And we will carry these memories and these connections into the kingdom by His design. Mm -hmm. And then we can thank Him. We can thank Him for these things. And we don't have to focus on one another's brokenness because we bring that to Him and say, Father, show me how to deal with this, please. Sometimes I just pray for another person when I have no idea how to deal with them. Ask the Lord to show me what is real and true and keep me planted in the reality of His Word and ask Him to deal with the other person that I'm struggling with in the body. Lord, show them what is real. Convict them what is real. It's His job now. Yeah, and only He can really truly do anything about it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. The other thing, too, for me when I pray in the middle of conflict, I already know that God knows my every thought. Psalm 139 says He knows what I'm going to say before I even say it. He knows better than I do how I feel about the people around me. And so when I pray, I very often just kind of go belly up and confess. I confess that I feel these things. There's yeah. no point in trying to pretend with God. That's to right. Trying to act pious with Him. He knows already. And so I will confess that and then I'll pray and ask him to change my heart and to work in the details of the situation to bring about the obedience of faith. And, you know, lest anyone thinks we're just pulling texts out of scripture. <laughs> oh, we're just supposed to think about good things and pretend nothing's happening. This chapter begins with Paul saying, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also keep these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel together with Clement as well as the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. He's appealing for unity in the body of Christ to get along to work together. Which chapter was that? That's the beginning of Philippians chapter 4, right okay. before he says, rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, pray to God with your requests. So he is dealing directly with people's flesh. Yes. And saying... Redirect, redirect, yes. <laughs> turn your back to the ten, look to Jesus, and remember, you are His provision for each other mm -hmm. in Him, and His strength and His power are greater than whatever your struggle is. Look to Him. And the commands and teachings of Christ, the Word of Christ over and over again is repeated as love. Love one another, love your neighbor, love your brothers and sisters, the church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. I think about some of the, the progressive Adventists who say, oh, it's just about love. And I worry that that's coming across here. That's not what I mean. It's all defined by Scripture and according to Christ. But if that is the supreme concern in so many of these commands, it makes sense that the biting and devouring one another would be the place where the devil gets to us, Absolutely. where the enemy comes in. And Paul really does reinforce that very idea in many of his epistles. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that in verse 17, he makes the point that the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, for they're in opposition to each other. And in Romans 7, he develops this 
so well in such a way that it just gives me so much encouragement. Because I think one thing we all realize when we have trusted Jesus and have really been born again, one thing we all realize is that we still struggle with the flesh. We still struggle with temptation. And Paul explains in Romans 7 that we still have a law of sin in our members, but it's not our total identity. Our identity is that the essential us, our spirits, which were born dead, are now alive. And that life in our spirits is opposed to the law of sin that's still in our flesh. This is where our sanctification works out for the rest of our lives. And this is why the Adventist view that sanctification is necessary for salvation cannot be part of the biblical gospel. Paul is so, so clear that the sanctification of our behavior as an ongoing thing is the fruit of our salvation. It's the fact that we are born again, that we've turned our backs to the law, and we're looking at Jesus, and His Spirit is in us, and that we are yielding to Him on a moment-by-moment basis, asking Him to show us what is real from His perspective, to keep us grounded in His Word, and to show us how to love one another for Him. That's where He works in us because we are His, because we are saved. You know, it's interesting. It's covered very well in the book of Hebrews that there was one sacrifice and that all the sacrifices are over now. And so, we have the sacrifice of Christ, which ends any further sacrifices for justification. And I would say that we have the Holy Spirit now, and that ends the law for sanctification and righteousness. Romans 10.4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's exactly what you're saying. So, Paul moves on in this chapter 5 of Galatians to verse 18, where he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, which is exactly what we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. We don't look to the law. We look to the Lord Jesus. His Spirit indwells us as a seal and a pledge and a guarantee that we are His and that everything He has promised us is ours in Christ. That's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. And when we're in Christ, led by the Spirit, the law is no longer our master in any way, not even as an internal document plastered on our hearts. (laughs) No, the author of that law is in us, giving us life. It takes you back to Paul's first question in this letter. You who received the Spirit by faith, are you now trying to be perfected through the law? They don't work together. They are actually opposed to one another. The law was a shadow of what was to come, not a hand-in-hand companion. Now, in verses 19 through 21, Paul gives a list of deeds of the flesh, which he says are no longer the things that we live by. What can you say about these, Nikki? Well, they're not exhaustive. Clearly, they're not exhaustive. He does say, end things like these or those who practice such things. And if you think just back to Ananias and Sapphira. Right. That sin is not listed here. Lying to the Holy Spirit, essentially. It's not here. So, we don't get exhaustive lists in the New Covenant. No. We're given examples. And it's worth pointing out, and you already have, and I just want to say it again, there's nothing in this list about breaking Sabbath. That's right. And if Sabbath keeping was just kind of a minor doctrine in Adventism, that might not seem like a big deal. But to the Adventists, Sabbath keeping is going to determine whether or not you are finally saved. Were you loyal to 
the true creator God, or are you going to be loyal to the Babylonian heresies? Yes. No, that's a big deal. I don't understand why that doesn't bother Adventists, that God doesn't clearly list breaking the Sabbath as one of the things that will prevent them from inheriting the kingdom of God. That feels like trickery. It does to me too. And I know that as an Adventist, it didn't bother me because I was taught, well, of course the New Testament doesn't mention the Sabbath because everybody was doing it. It was assumed. No, no, that's not true. The Gentiles didn't have the Sabbath. Paul is writing to Gentiles here, and he's making a very big deal that no one is to put the Gentile Christians under the law. You don't get the Sabbath outside of the law. There's no place it's taught or required besides the law. Then in verse 22, he says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I want to point out the fruit of the spirit. There is absolutely nothing in this list that the world can take from us. That's right. No matter the circumstances we live in, when we're born again, we will always have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Now, we can succumb to the temptation of the flesh and fret and be anxious and all of that, but we have the Holy Spirit in us. And like we've said before, we are now free to respond to God and we're free to respond to His Word. And we can read passages in Philippians and see what God commands us to do when we have all of that internal angst. And we can return to the source of our joy. That is such a great point, Nikki. And I also want to mention that the fruit of the Spirit is singular. Mm -hmm. It's not the fruits. And I think that's really important to remember, because when we have God Himself in us, all of these characteristics and attributes of our eternal triune God are ours Mm -hmm. in Christ. And you can't separate the love of God, the complete, sacrificial, all-encompassing love of God, which is the first part of the fruit listed that's ours, You can't separate that from joy. You can't separate that from peace, which is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. And you certainly can't separate those things from patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. They all go together. How can you be patient without being kind? How can you be faithful without being loving as God loves? Now, as a human in the flesh, not born again, We do try to separate these things. Like we've mentioned before, Adventism will sometimes say, well, we just have to see the Ten Commandments against the backdrop of love, and it looks all different. No, love isn't the backdrop of the Ten Commandments. That's not how we're taught in Scripture to look at the Ten Commandments. The love that is ours in Christ is love that we only have when we're born again. It is not human love. It is the love of God working itself out in us as we yield to Him, sometimes without even our knowledge that we're doing it, if we're submitting to Him in the moment of temptation or frustration. But these things are all a unit. And you know, it's frustrating for legalists, for the legalism in each of us. It's frustrating to not have 
something clear to look at and, and just give me the right answer because that doesn't require submission. Just having the right answer, just knowing what to do. I've asked my teenagers to do things and they've done them, but they have done them in a spirit of rebellion <laughs> and it doesn't feel like obedience. <laughs> so when we have this fruit of the spirit, the spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a thing. Right. He's not electricity. No. He's a person. And when we have this person, what we know about him from scripture is that he's like the wind. We can't see where he's coming or where he's going. He gives all of his gifts according to his will. So in the new covenant under the spirit, the law of the spirit, the law of Christ, we can't look at our neighbor and size them up. Right. Because it's like what Jesus said to Peter when Peter asked him, well, what about John? And he said, what does that have to do with you? God deals with us individually, but he commands us corporately to love one another. And that command corporately is what you said. It's corporate love for the body. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting to me, Nikki. I never saw soul clearly in such a big way until we've walked through Galatians together like this, that the commands of the New Testament for believers are primarily for our interactions with one another in the body. Mm -hmm. As an Adventist, I was basically taught that our entire life was about impressing the people outside. Let them think we're good people. Let them think we have the truth. Bring them into us. It's how they perceive us. No, this New Testament is saying, as Jesus told his disciples, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. It's the one another's in the body that is our first concern. And the Holy Spirit will work through us in the world as He sends us into the world. We're not a nation like Israel was, but we're sent into the nations to bear the presence of God. And it is our connection with one another in Christ and our love for one another that is the most impacting thing about the church. That's why it's so heartbreaking when the church is publicly biting one another and the unbelievers look on and they see that and they determine things about us that aren't accurate, but we're putting our flesh on display and we lose our gospel witness. Or when the church compromises the gospel and allows itself to become a little Judaized, bring in this law, bring in this spiritual discipline, bring in this practice so we can be more pious and so we can appeal to people who aren't Christians. No, our job is to be true to Christ and true to His gospel and loving one another and holding one another accountable in love in Him so that the gospel is like a jewel that hangs in the world in the presence of the church as Christ lives in us. So then in verses 24 and 25, he says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. One of the things I loved about that is he made clear that we have been crucified with Christ— and it takes you back to that verse. It's no longer I who lives, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And we know that the Holy Spirit has brought us to life. So if we're alive because of the Spirit, if we're alive by the Spirit, we ought also to follow Him. And that's the thing that's so hard to communicate to unbelievers yeah. when they ask all these questions like, oh, you can do whatever you want. No, we have just been called out of the grave. We have been yes. called out of the dark tomb. And we walk towards the one who called us and we go with him where he goes. What else can we do? He has the words of eternal life. Yeah. He's the one who gave us life. 
And so Paul is saying, if we were brought to life by the Spirit, then that's our Lord. That's our master, not our flesh. We crucified that. We let that go. We gave that up so that we could live. And it's not a matter of willpower. No. Because the Holy Spirit does live in us when we trust Jesus. We yield to Him. We don't beat ourselves up and set ourselves goals inside and say, (laughs) today I will not do X. No, we yield to the Spirit. And it's a moment-by-moment thing, and He is the one who makes us different. What you just said there, we don't beat ourselves up. One of the things that jumped out to me as we were studying this passage in verse 16 when He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. He does not say, don't carry out the desires of the flesh. What He says is, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the deeds of the flesh. This isn't us just strong-arming our way through and doing the right thing. And I think so many believers get trapped in a cycle of sin checks. Yes, that's a great way to put it. How am I sinning? What am I doing? Where? Well, look, the Lord is going to deal with your sin. And if you're preoccupied navel-gazing, you might miss what He's calling you to see. Set your minds on Him, on His Word, and let Him do the work. He will bring it about. I'm not always aware of the sin the Lord wants to deal with in me, especially if I'm castigating myself for something I've done or something I've felt or something I think I'm weak in. If I'm focusing on something I wish were different about me, I'm not yielding. I'm doing what you said, navel-gazing, and I can completely miss what the Lord is actually calling me to do and to trust Him with. Yeah, I sometimes feel like being a personal sin hunter is a form of legalism. That's actually kind of what the law was. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Like you were pointing out, here Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you will not do the desires of the flesh. And if you are aware of a sin and you are convicted by it, that's because the Spirit revealed that to you. That's right. And finally, he ends by saying, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And again, this is about living with love in the body. The Lord Jesus gives us the work He prepared in advance for us to do. We are His workmanship, as He says in Ephesians 2.10. The work He gives us is the work He prepared for us. He gives us to each other as His inheritance and as our inheritance in Him. Our proper response to living together in the body of Christ is, again, to yield to the Spirit and to trust our head, who has put His body together and has made us part of it for His glory, and we can trust Him with one another. If you don't know what it means to be part of the body of Christ, born again, living with one another, alive in Christ, with your back to the law and your face on the Lord Jesus, who's died, buried, and risen again, then I urge you to think about what the Lord Jesus came to do. He didn't come to show us how to keep the law. He came to pay for our sin. Trust Him, repent before Him, and rejoice in the life He will give you and the Spirit He will send to seal you forever as His own adopted child in the Father. You can know what it means to have eternal life by trusting Jesus now. 
If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to view all of the resources there for former Adventists and those questioning Adventism. You can sign up to receive weekly emails delivering new material to your inbox every Friday. And there's a donate tab there as well if you'd like to come alongside Life Assurance Ministries with your financial support. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave a review. Join us next week as we begin Galatians chapter 6 and learn what it is to bear one another's burdens. And we'll see you then.